Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. All right, we come now to our time of reading God's Word together as we look at our series that is entitled Church with a Question Mark. And the reason we're in this series is we know because of the book of Acts why the church was established. And through the book of Ephesians, Paul instructs us on what we are to do while we are the church. We are comprised of the church. And one of the things we look at today is far above wisdom. You see, we're resuming the book of Ephesians, and many people will go to church or they'll associate themselves with some type of membership. But the thing is, is that many times that's all there is to it, to church. Where's your letter? Where's your pew? Where's your seat? Where's your family been for all these years? And those things are not bad questions in and of themselves, but we have to remember that we as a church are not here to fill pews or to have our will be done. It's to have his will be done. And the thing is, is that last week we began to unpack the principle that the church is not the building. I'm grateful for this beautiful sanctuary, and I'm grateful for, uh, it's just, I remember the first time walking into this sanctuary, and maybe it's just me, but I just, when I walk in here, I just feel the presence of God. But it's not because the bricks are blessed. It's not because the sheetrock has the Shekinah glory on it. It is not because we have nails that were blessed by Jesus himself. It is here because the church is comprised of the people that are in it. And of the people that are in it, it's the Holy Spirit that is inside themselves. So just another kind of side note is that when we talk about what church we go to, please don't associate your church with the building or the worship style or how many programs you have or don't have or how big the staff is or how small it is or what color the carpet is. All of these different things. The church is the people and the people who Jesus works through to redeem the world. As as a member of the church of Christ, you are part of God's plan to redeem the world. And we all must be reminded of the power that is associated with being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, our names may be on a church roll. But folks, it's more important than ever to make sure that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? Because I'm telling you what, when it comes time for judgment, no one's going to pull out the Home and Park Baptist Church roll and see who's on it. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, right? It's not going to be Home and Park Baptist Church's roll. It's going to be God's roll. And Paul loves the people of the church of Ephesus, and he's loving them. And in today's passage, he's teaching Christians, just like you and just like me, that you and I can accomplish much more than we think we can when we plug into the explosive power of that salvation that has been offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Last week was the fact that Jesus wants to work through you. He really does. He is, of all the people he's chosen to work through, those of you here today, he is working through you. That's not 
a uh, burden. That is not a chore. That is a privilege of all the people that God could use for his glory. He has called you to be a part of his church. We just happen to be worshiping at Homeland Park Baptist Church at this moment. But the thing is, when Jesus calls you to serve him, he empowers you to do far above what you are expecting. If God calls you to do something, he has already empowered you to do that even more than you can imagine. So for you, if you have ever said, well, I can't do that, God didn't, God wouldn't ask me to do that, or God did ask me to do that, and I just couldn't keep it up. The truth of the matter is, if God has called you to it, he's given you the power to go through it. That almost sounds like something a preacher would say, doesn't it? But there's a, an evangelist I like to listen to. His name is Ron Dunn. And he tells a story of a couple who are awfully proud of their little child. Upon graduating kindergarten and starting the first grade, they knew their child. There was something very blessed and special about that child. He began to learn his ABCs, and he was able to communicate his address and his telephone number in case he were in an emergency. He knew that, you know, still stranger danger, but if there were people that he could trust, he would know how to get people to know where he lives and how to get a hold of mommy and daddy. His parents had high hopes for this young man. They were sacrificing a lot to make sure that he was going to a very well-to-do school. And then one day, the little boy returned home, and his parents asked him, What did you learn today? He answered, saying, Today, I learned that two plus two equals four. Oh, the parents were so joyed that at the first grade, he knew he was already starting his addition. And they thought, he's going to be a gifted child. We probably need to get college applications now. He's going to be one of those children that will be in college by the time they are 10 years old. They were very proud of that child. And so their pride, they were just, look at what we have. Well, the boy's parents, they glowed with pride to know that their future genius could already understand two plus two equals four while only being in the first grade. So as their aspirations for their little prodigy began to build, The little boy asked a simple question. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. What is a two? So that little boy knew what two and two equals four, but he didn't know what a two was. And the reason I share that is like some of you say, that wasn't funny. It's not meant to be funny. It's meant to give you this point. Is that for you and I, what is a two could be the same thing as faith or salvation or grace or mercy, or all of these other words that we have grown up hearing all of our lives. And faith is a word that Christians hear and use every day. Is it possible that you may know that what faith does, but not what it is or how to access it? Maybe it's true that you know you have the power of Christ. You know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, but you don't quite know how to truly plug into that, how to utilize that. It takes renewing your faith in Christ today as he enables you to share the gospel as his church. So let's jump into the scriptures this morning. The first thing that we see is in Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 15 and 16. It says, pray for things far above the crisis of the moment. Pray for things far above the crisis of the moment. Paul's prayer is for spiritual wisdom here. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Verses 15 and 16 say, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. So what we see here is that a church of demonstrated faith and love will be noticed. Some churches are known for their worship style, their preaching style, their buildings, what they look like or where they are or what they do. But this church, the church in Ephesus, they were noticed for their faith and their love. The sad part is many churches are known for their fights over their faith or their buildings or their programs. But the truth is the Ephesus was known because the church was loving and faithful. And Paul loved that church. And what I want you to see, that evidence is not earning. Evidence is not earning, meaning that faith and love, both faith and love. Can you say faith and love? Okay. Faith, hand out. Come on, act with me. What's he doing this morning for? We're not going to let him go to vacation anymore. Put your hand out. Put your little light. Faith and love. Both of them. Faith and love are not things that we earn because of our salvation. Faith and love are things that we are, they're evidence of that. If you have love and faith in God and you demonstrate that to others, that is evidence that you are saved. But if you are trying to love others and you are trying to be faithful in your own strength, it's not going to earn you one more, one more strand of faith or love. We don't, we don't do this to earn God's love. We've already got God's love. Paul was reminding the church at Ephesus that what set them apart from everybody else. This passage is very special to me. It's easy to, to really skip over verses 15 and 16 because it kind of sounds like, you know, when you're writing a letter to someone and you, you haven't really got into the meat of what you're trying to ask or trying to say, so you're just trying to lead up to that. That's what a lot of people see when they read this. They say, look, this is the lead up for the big ask or the big point that he's trying to make. It's really easy to skip over these verses in order to get what we would call the good stuff of the Scripture. But the truth of the matter is, everything in God's Word is the good stuff. Even in the Old Testament, when you have all these names of people you can't pronounce, it's still good stuff. This verse became meaningful to me because I remember when Donna and I left our home church after I served there for eight years, there was a reception and one of the students, one of the youth, actually wrote on a note They use verse 16 that says, I have not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. There was a lot in that note. Number one, that a teenager would think to do that. But number two is is that 
that was extremely encouraging. And I've used this same verse as I've written to people before as well. And I remember this verse because, number one, it was touching to see that a youth could have the spiritual discernment not only to find that verse, but to be able to use it in such a powerful way. And the second thing is, I knew that she would do what she said. Knowing that someone is praying for you is empowering. In one note, this student reminded me that faith and love of Jesus is not just for what I needed at the moment, but it was a well of strength that can be accessed throughout our lifetime. And where I'm trying to get at here is I want you to see the prayer of Paul from his perspective. Many of our prayers are reactionary. You know what I mean by that? In other words, if we're having a rough time or, or someone we love is hurting or we're hurting or we've got a bill due or a health thing going on or whatever it is, we will pray. Well, preacher, pray for this person. They got this and, and they got that. And, and, and we need to pray for those people. Don't get me wrong. We do need to pray for people that are sick. But it's always something has happened, so please pray for that. We are reacting in our prayers to what is happening. But the crazy thing is here, folks, is that Paul is writing this from a jail cell for preaching the gospel. He is imprisoned wrongfully, and he is writing not to tell the church to pray for him and bust him out, but he is praying for the church that they would recognize the power that God has given them. He was not reacting. He didn't even mention the fact that he was in jail. He said, look, this is my prayer for you. Paul was not praying for God to give them what they did not have. Here's the thing what Paul was praying for. Paul was not praying for them to get what they did not have. His prayer was for them to realize what God had already given him. Do you realize whatever you're going through today and tomorrow and the rest of eternity God has granted you the power to get through it. He has given you the faith. He's given you the ability to love. He has let you experience the love of Christ in a way that others cannot understand it. And still, we are praying for God to work in things that are happening to us and around us, but have yet to pray provisionally for God to say, God, when is the last time you said, God, show me what I'm missing? Show me the power, not because you need it in that moment, but just because you want to know him more. I remember somebody the other night was talking about uh, there's a a place in Anderson that does ice cream and pinball machines and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, I remember back, some of you that have children my age and, and maybe a little bit older or younger can remember when arcades came out. I mean, the arcades have been around a while, but when the video game craze started, Man, if I had a, do- a dollar in my pocket, it was burning a hole in my pocket. I would ride my bicycle for an hour through the woods just to get to the arcade to be able to play Missile Command or whatever it was. It was always, man, I got this money. I need to use it. And my point of the matter is, is that instead of me always worrying about when I could get my next fix, my next dollar, I need to realize that God has already given me everything that I need for life. 
So when we go to prayer, we're not really asking for God to give us more of what we don't have. We're asking God to help us realize what he's already given us. That's what Paul is showing us here. So it's time for you and I to shift your prayer life from God, this is what I need, to God, show me the powers you have already given me. That is the shift. That is the mindset. Even with this mindset, you can still pray for those that are sick. You can pray for your own needs. You can pray for the church. You can pray for things going up. But it's not out of a, a sense of, I, I need more of, of, of something, but it's, I need, I need help out of this. It's, show me what you've already given me. The second thing, we need to pray for spiritual wisdom that is far above earthly wisdom. Verses 17 and 18 says, starting with verse 17, asking God, this is the second half of 17, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom, some translations say enlightenment, and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. What we see here is that Paul points to the source of far above wisdom, and that is God. I want you to understand, wisdom has two sources, right? Two sources for wisdom. You've got godly wisdom, and you have got earthly wisdom, or humankind, man-made, man-generated wisdom. You've got one that is a perspective from God who is above all, orchestrating all, or you have man who is just down here among us all. And the thing is, is that wisdom stems from one of those two sources. And Paul was not praying for the Ephesians to use their spiritual wisdom to become prophets and know-it-alls. Paul wanted them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation simply so that they would have a better knowledge of him. How do you know God better? You spend time in his word. I will go ahead and tell you, if the only spiritual intake you get is from, from me and your Bible study teacher for about an hour a week, You're starving. You're spiritually malnourished. And you're not going to really, you're not, you are not going to realize and access all the power that God has given you because we access that through God's Word. You are made in the image of God. Therefore, if you know God better, you will know yourself better. If you know God better, you will know yourself better. And two facts regarding Paul's prayer for spiritual wisdom or enlightenment. Number one, the wisdom and knowledge of God comes from the Holy Spirit. Where does the knowledge of God come from? The Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? That means when you read your scripture and you understand what it says, it's because the Holy Spirit has translated and interceded for that. Many of you may remember before knowing Christ where you picked up the Bible and it just seemed like a bunch of gobbledygook. But then you start reading it and the Spirit starts tugging at your heart and all the things start making sense. It's kind of like those love songs. I remember before I met Donna, I would hear love songs and, uh, yeah, whatever, change the channel. But boy, when you get in love, all those love songs start making sense. Everything I do, I do it for you. Remember that one, honey? Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, Brian Adams, you are singing my song. It made sense because the love was there. 
It's so much better than a love song, folks. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He begins to translate and intercede so you can read subjects and you can read books that you know at one time you did not understand. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. If you're, if you hit, if you hit your ball in the deep weeds, so to speak, and you're reading scripture that you don't understand, just flip the page and get to where you can get back on track. There's no shame in that. But there's also something called the internet. You can find resources and commentaries. There's something called a library. If you really wanted to find the truth of these things, it's out there. But the best thing of all is the Holy Spirit. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a concordance. You don't even need Google. The Holy Spirit can intercede for you. Because natural man and woman, they need the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to them. There was one teacher that was, or teacher slash preacher that was talking to another, um, I guess you would say contemporary or another, another preacher. And the first preacher had gone to seminary was, or had been an instructor and has been an evangelist. And he was talking to this guy that meant his ministry was blowing up. I mean, he was everywhere and people just couldn't get enough to hear him preach, but he was not seminary trained. And the thing is, is that that one preacher asked the other one, how do you know so much about the Bible without seminary training? He replied, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cottage of north of Ireland. There with my open Bible before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and open the Word to my heart. He told me more on my knees on that mud floor than I could have ever have learned in all the seminaries and colleges of the world. All for you and I to have that same determination to combine the discipline of prayer and Scripture reading to know God more. The second thing is the spiritual wisdom or enlightenment. It goes to the heart of every believer. Look at verse 18. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those. He's asking them to open the hearts, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. The heart in Scripture includes our emotions, our mind, and our will. So if you were to look at this verse in a different light, a better way to say that would be, that I pray that your entire life, your will, your soul, your desire, your dreams, all of these things, that you be flooded with the light so that you can understand the hope that is given. But you see, for you to see and understand the spiritual wisdom of God, your heart must be open to it. Look, if you want God to talk to, talk to you, to teach you from his word, You've got to be open for it. Look, I've, there have been times where things have been going on in my life and, and I didn't want to let go of some things. And I would say, okay, well, I'll read the Bible. But I, I just wasted my time because my heart wasn't open to receive it. If you truly want to know God more, if you want to know how to become a better spouse, a better parent, a better grandparent, a better mentor, a better teacher, a better preacher, we have to be open, open our hearts for God to speak to us so that we might grow in our knowledge of God. You see, the atheist claims that there is no God for us to know. 
the agnostic, states that there is a God, but we cannot know him. But Paul met God in person through the person of Jesus Christ. And he knows that a man really cannot understand God apart from Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died so that you could know God. Jesus died so that you could know God. Number one, for salvation. I'm going to give you a couple big church words. Hold on a minute. Let me put my mic down for a minute. I've got to wind up for this. This is a big word. Some of you know. Sanctification. Sanctification. What does that mean? That means the process of making us holy. It means that we can know God personally because He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us able to learn from Him. So we've got sanctification. That's the, the salvation experience. Okay? The second part is where a lot of us are in now. It's called, excuse me, I got that backwards. Even I'm not, I'm not impressing you with this because I got it backwards. Salvation is first. Salvation is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Sanctification is where most of us are right now. The process of becoming more like God. And we do that by knowing Him more. We do that by reading His Word and obeying His will. And then finally one day as we spent several months talking about through the book of Revelation, there will be glorification. So you can impress your friends and you go home and you say, well, I learned about salvation, sanctification, and glorification. What does that mean? That means you meet Jesus Christ. He makes you available to learn from God. Sanctification is a process of learning from God. And then glorification is boom. Woo! This is where you are glorified. You are in heaven and you've got everything that God has promised you. You are at the finish line and you have finished well. But, folks, you are called to be greater. Notice it says in the second half of 18, you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. What does it mean he called us? Folks, he called you and I out of our sinful despair. He called us to walk differently in a world that is hostile towards God. He called us to receive the glorious inheritance that will be ours called heaven when this world comes to the end. Then we see in verses 19 through 21, God is far above anyone or anything. There are a lot of people on Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., and in other people that think that they are bigger than God. But notice what Paul says here. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Who is he writing this to? He is writing this to the church. This is not for non-believers. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you do not qualify for this verse. Because it's for those who believe in Him. If you do not believe in Him, if you reject Him, this is not for you. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Folks, God's love and power are unmatched and demonstrated. If the death of Jesus Christ is the supreme Demonstration of the love of God. Think about it. What more 
could God do to prove to you that he loves you, but to give his only son to die for you and I? The resurrection is a supreme demonstration of his power. He's over death and hell. God has made his power available to you and I to use in building his church. I've got several friends and some even in here that are very good with tools. A couple guys, you have you have a big old garage. you got every tool you can think of. It reminds me when I was a child, and uh, my dad had a garage split from the house. And I remember as a child going to my father's tools in the garage to fix my bike and other things that were broken. As a teenager, I could take and change a water pump off of anything because so many of them broke. But again, I was using the tools that my father made available to me. I hope you see where this is going. I want you to understand that the purpose of this passage is showing all who believe in Jesus Christ that we do not work with our own limited tools, but that God gives us his power, his love, his Holy Spirit to accomplish the work in the church and the work of the church. Folks, you can accomplish this if you decide to pick up his tools and use them. Until then, your life will be broken. There is nothing more sad than to look in the toolbox of your life and to see all of these tools that God gave you to navigate through life and to serve him in the church that are still in the packages. The last thing we see is wherever he leads, I'll go, verses 22 through 23. It says, God has put all things, and when he says all things, he means all, all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. What we see here, folks, is that no one, no one, no one, no political party, no church member, no church family, no president, no king, no county commissioner, or who, there is nobody that is above God. You can ignore him. You can curse him. You can spit on him and you can even kill him as they did Jesus Christ. But he is still alive and he is still Lord of all. He is alive. He is the head of the church, which means that the church is more alive today than it has ever been if people will be obedient. Do not fall into the trap of getting together with your friends. And i got to remember this too. Of, oh, it's so bad today. Oh, it wasn't like 50 years ago. Oh, things have changed. Folks, Jesus Christ is still on his throne. The church is still the main tool that God uses to accomplish his purpose. Maybe the problem is not what the culture has done to the church, but what the church has allowed to happen in the culture. Boy, if we started owning some of that stuff, it might change things. Can one person make a difference? Absolutely. I think most of you that know the history of this church would say that Miss Francis, who was ministering to the people at Tintown behind this church, 
where our FLC sits, could one person make a difference? Yes, they can because you're here today. Can you make a difference? Yes, in your children, in your grandchildren, in those people that are around you, with your neighbor, with your co-workers, with your friends on your little phone circle. Say no to the gabbing and the gossip and start saying yes to the gospel in your conversations. Because here's the thing. Where the head goes, the body follows. They teach you when you're training. I remember when we had a dog that... That wouldn't, uh, would just, he, you couldn't walk him because he would go wherever he wanted to go. And they said, what you gotta do is you gotta get the special harness and it wraps around his head and wherever the head goes, the body will follow immediately once that thing was on him. He didn't like it, but wherever we wanted him to go, he went because it turned his head and his body followed. My friends, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we need to remember that it's not him following us, but wherever he leads, we will go. The conclusion would be this. The decision to access the spiritual wisdom that Paul talks about today, the far above wisdom that he talks about today, it's a choice. It's your choice, no matter what age you are. Is there? Do you ever become so wise you don't need wisdom anymore? Some of you that have uh, the, the the white hair, have y'all? Do y'all know everything that there is to know? Are y'all? Is there no more wisdom for you? I hope not, because if we are not learning, we are dying. I always pick up something new every day. The decision to access spiritual wisdom is your choice. God's wisdom is far above this world. And your own. God believes, God gives believers access to this wisdom. His authority is greater than any other, and you can accomplish far above what you can imagine if you simply recognize Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And as a member of his church, you must follow his directions. My friends, if this church becomes a church that follows what I want, or if we become a church that follows what you want, and it's not what Christ wants, we might as well close the doors. Because we are here together to pray for God's will, to find God's will, and work that together. Now, armed with the knowledge from the Scripture today, you know that you have access to God's power, His knowledge, and His wisdom that is far above what we could ever know. The question is, how well are you plugging into it And are you willing to change your life to access it?